2: Are you a baby murderer, or are you an oppressor
3: of women's body autonomy? Are you a socialist, or are you a corporate shill? Are you ignoring the threat of terrorism, or are you supporting pointless wars for oil? Are you trampling on our Second Amendment constitutional rights, or are you an NRA brainwashed gun nut? You ever notice how when we get into arguments about some of the most important topics in politics, we just talk right past each other? We don't even seem to be talking about the same thing. There's a reason and it's because we're dealing with competing frames. Welcome everyone to another episode of Reconsider, part of the Agora podcast network where we don't do the thinking for you. Before we get too deep into competing frames. I want to thank our latest patrons, Oleg, Nick, Anthony, Chance, and Card, who over the last month have generously contributed to helping keep Reconsider afloat. And we're doing great with the fundraiser. I'm just, again, blown away by how much support we've seen from everyone. It's actually looking really good at this point. Um, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited for what we can do to spread the message further. Um, we've been getting great engagement on social media. We've been getting more listeners. It's a uh, it's a really cool thing to see. So everyone who's been pitching and thank you so much. If you want to, you can go to patreon.com reconsider. So as we talk about framing, I want to point to two books in particular that I've read about frame control, mostly for sales. One is by Oren Claff called Pitch Anything. One is called Frame Control, Subconscious Conversation Dominance, by George Hutton. And framing, let's talk about what framing is first. Framing is used when persuasion matters, in sales usually, but also, you know, uh, fundraising, in campaigning, right, in debates. And uh, a lot of framing, the thing I want to be cautious of is a lot of framing can be used to manipulate it's a very subconscious thing that's happening. And so people do use it to manipulate. The other place that it's used is dating. Often it's uh, you know, it's used by pickup artists um and other folks like that that are trying to mess with people's subconscious in order to, you know, manipulate them and, and get something from them. And so framing is a tool. And like any tool, it can be used for ill, right? But even if you're not consciously trying to manipulate a frame or change a frame or dominate a frame, framing is part of any conversation with a potential disagreement or negotiation, right? So frames are being established in conversations that you're having all the time, whether you know it or not. And so what I want to do today is teach you guys a little bit about what frames are, what they mean, A lot of examples of how frames are being used to define our political debate in the United States and, you know, sort of what you can do to not just talk past each other. So one way of thinking about framing in particular in uh, politics is frames set the stage for the conversation. They define what we're even talking about, what kind of thing we are even talking about. So how are we looking at a situation? How are we looking at a question of policy? So is it a matter of human rights, right? So, for example, uh, it's common for progressives to say that, you know, their policy, the thing they want, right, free housing, free healthcare, free this, free that, is a human right. It just is, right? And that's a framing of it. It's framed as a human right. Now, other people disagree that it's a human right. So it's a frame. Is it framed practically, right? Like uh, the recovery bill for, you know, during the height of the pandemic, which is practical. We just need, is it utilitarian? This is the best thing for everyone. Is it about morality, right and wrong, right? You just can't do this because it's wrong. Is it about, you know, kindness and goodwill? So you can see that there are all sorts of different ways to look at a situation. And depending on which frame you choose, you're going to end up having a very different conversation. So for example, about free healthcare, well, look, is it a matter of, you know, is it a human right? Is it the morally right thing to do? is it impractical, right? Or is it the most practical thing? Is it the simplest thing? If we look at the utilitarian perspective, is it going to, you know, cost most people tons of money to support a few? Or is it actually going to drive down costs for everyone? So you have all different kinds of arguments looking at healthcare, you know, free healthcare from a different angle, a different perspective. And if you want to win an argument with your set of evidence, you need to win the frame with someone. You need to get someone else to agree to your frame. And that's how frames compete. In a conversation, in a sales conversation, negotiation, a debate, if you can get someone to consciously or subconsciously consent to looking at the issue through your frame, then you've got a big leg up. So if we get someone to agree with us that, you know, free healthcare isn't a matter of rights, it's simply a matter of what's the way that we distribute limited resources and how do we do that? Or if we get them to think instead that, you know, this is a matter of there's a more individualist approach that, uh, you know, hey, what are the limit on which we can demand some people pay for other people's stuff, we've got a very different conversation and it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be more dominated by questions of, you know, more negative rights, individual rights, or it's going to be dominated by a conversation about the economics of it. And you may be armed either, you know, one way or the other with arguments about rights and economics as opposed to uh, about, sorry, negative rights or economics, uh, or if you can win the frame that it is a human right, a positive right, right? So what's a positive right again? It's a right that you are entitled to, right? You're entitled for someone else to give you whether they want to or not. That's a positive, right? And depending on how you frame it, you end up having, you know, a different conversation and you're likely to get a different outcome if you can get people to agree on the frame. Now, it's not the case that agreeing to frames is always going to lead to, you know, a, a smooth conversation where it's easy for everyone to agree. So let's look at a few examples of that. One example is climate change or global warming, right? So everyone agrees to the frame about climate change or global warming. Let's just call it climate change. Everyone agrees to the frame about climate change, right? The frame is one of like utilitarianism and practicality. Is you know human activity that's producing greenhouse gases that are going into the atmosphere? Is it dangerous? Is it going to lead to? Is continuing to do it at this pace or a similar pace going to lead to you know human catastrophe down the line? And you know and how soon and all that stuff. But that's the frame we're looking at it as, right? Some people try to say, hey, it's a it's a matter of rights, or you know, or climate change. You know, I've seen people say climate change is is racist because the or it is yeah, it's like perpetuating systemic racism because it's going to hurt people who live in. You know, it happens to be people of color who live in areas that are going to be most impacted by climate change. But most people, most of the time, are just talking about, is this a big threat or not? And do we need to do something dramatic about it with policy or not? And there are, again, there are peripheral frames, but it's an agreed to frame. But it's still an intractable problem because, you know, I'm obviously, I happen to have read enough of the science and spent enough time bumming around scientists who can help me interpret it uh, that, you know, I'm obviously very convinced that climate change is a major threat. But me being convinced that climate change is a major threat, it's not trivial for me to bring that evidence to bear to someone who's a skeptic, right? And they have different reasons for being a skeptic and they'll still consent to my frame, right? They'll still consent to the frame of, look, this is simply a practical question of whether we're putting ourselves, you know, as a, as a civilization in extreme danger by continuing to crank out greenhouse gases or not. So they'll consent to that frame. They'll just say, no, we're not, or I don't have see evidence that we are. And what they'll do is they'll start underm- you know potentially undermining the scientists themselves and saying, look, they're biased. They're being funded to do this. So there's, like, fundamental bias going into the science. So it's bad science, etc. And so, uh, you know, while we don't have have agreement about global warming with everyone, most Americans do believe that climate change is a real problem. We can't translate that to Congress. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But we actually have, you know, 70% and more of Americans believe climate change is a real problem, right? Um, And a big one that we should do something about. So there's, this is a place where there is actually for Americans in particular, a surprising amount of agreement on it. Similarly, we see frame alignment in questions about job creation and the economy, right? So the frame that we all accept is that it behooves the government to take action to make the economy work, to create jobs, right, for the economy to hum and to, you know, make sure stuff's being made and distributed to people that need it and that people are employed both so they can make the stuff and so they can get paid for making the stuff and be able to buy stuff that they need. Everyone wants this. There's a very tiny, tiny portion of people who like, you know, who I've even run into them who somehow think that like people could not work and stuff could still get made, but those are a tiny, tiny fringe. And there's other people who, uh, I guess, don't care or something. But again, we're talking about the vast, vast majority of Americans here agree to this frame. But there's fierce debate over how to do it, right? So economists, while they agree on the frame, will disagree on what are the actions that the government should take. You know, there are economists who believe that the government should do a lot less than it's doing. There are economists that believe the government should do more than it's doing. And there are economists that believe that the government should not be doing necessarily less or more, but be doing something different. And in that case, again, we don't have... Of agreement, but we can at least have a conversation where we can bring evidence to bear right? We can say, well, you know, this study says this, this study says that. And if everyone agrees, hey, we should be doing the stuff that is most practical, we can have that conversation potentially resolve it. Now, of course, the problem with stuff like taxes and redistribution of wealth and government control is that you actually start to have folks who, you know, have a uh, moral frame to this or an ethical frame to this or a rights frame to this, that there's certain stuff that the government can't do, even if it does kind of help the economy as a whole. Um, We also have to define what do we mean by helping the economy as a whole? Because you know, there's some people who are just like, oh, let's just look at the GDP. And like, if that goes up, things are good. Let's look at the stock market. If that goes up, things are good. Other people are, are looking at primarily, you know, are we helping those who, you know, right now make less money? right, who right now have less. Are we helping them most? And is that our priority? And so we start to get in a little bit more of a values frame there. But most, you know, this is a place where you can constrain the frame where most people want high employment, right, and a, a booming economy, because we can all look at places that have low employment and a stagnant economy. And no matter what you want to do with that money that's being generated, right, whether you want to redistribute it or something else, like if it's not there, you can't. And, and this is where you can get most people on board with like, let's make the economy work and then we can bick over what to do with the money. But unlike those, where again, you can have a debate that's backed by evidence that's backed by, uh, you know, meaningful intellectual conversation where you can like go back and forth about theory, you can bring up different papers, you know, competing papers, and you can look to think tanks and say, hey, Brookings said this, but AEI said this. Why are they looking at this differently? You can have some really good conversations about it, right? So having the same frame doesn't mean that you're instantaneously going to end up with agreement. It doesn't even mean you'll ever end up with agreement. But you can have a productive conversation about it because you're not talking past each other. You're talking about the same stuff. And so at Reconsider, we often talk about this tactic of starting with what you agree on. And we often point to you know some fundamental values that you agree on so you have this place to start. And starting with agreement, that move to start with agreement, is about building a frame that you can both agree on, right? Building a frame where we say, hey, as Americans, we both care about this. Right. This is really important to us. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah, I do. Right. We want people to be safe. We want people to feel safe from violence, for example. Right. We want you know more people to feel safe from violence than do today. Oh, yeah, I agree. Okay, cool. Let's talk about how to do that. And then some person will say, well, it's guns. And some people will say, well, it's organized crime. And it's like, great. Well, let's go get some evidence. Right. People study this stuff constantly. So we can go have that conversation. But there are some places where we've totally lost the plot as a country about being able to talk about this stuff because we so often talk past each other. So... I've actually had some, the thing that inspired this episode was actually had some very interesting conversations recently about exploring what these frames look like. And one of the things that was, that inspired the conversation was we were walking by a house and it had a, you know, had a sign in front and it's like very rainbow. And it said like, in this house, we believe science is real. No human is illegal. Love is love and other stuff like that right and i was kind of annoyed now of course you know i for example i'm mit background like i'm a big believer that we can learn a lot from science right and that i even happen to think that scientists generally speaking have a code of ethics that makes them like want to do the right thing right as opposed to like trying to manipulate us into into something bad but you know are you going to win anyone over by saying science is real right what are you trying to do you're trying to by saying science is real you're trying to seize a frame where you say we on the left believe in science and you on the right don't, right? Okay, great, right? But is that even true? And would would someone on the right agree that they don't believe in science? Well, no, of course they wouldn't, right? No one doesn't believe in science. I mean, you have a few, you have a few, um, you know, crazy religious types that don't believe in science, right? I think, like, Boko Haram literally means education is bad, right? Or education is forbidden, right? You know, so there are certain, like, hardcore... Uh, typically Abraham, Abrahamic religions, right? So some typical hardcore Jewish Christian or um, Muslim sects that believe that education is bad and and science is bad. But like, besides them, everyone agrees science is real. You're not telling anything to anyone. You just look like a snob. And more importantly, you look kind of dumb saying that. And why is that? Well, not that anyone would be like, this person believes science is real, but everyone understands that, like everyone sees the subtext Everyone sees the subtext that, oh, you think that I, as a conservative, don't think science is real. We're like, hey, you know, I'm someone might say, like, well, I'm a conservative and I'm an economist and or I've, I've studied economics. And like that science of economics is why I believe what I believe. Right. And you're the one that goes like, well, let's just help people. Right. Like they'll say, like, actually, it is you, the liberals, who don't believe that science is real. Uh, or similarly, like, you know, we had this conversation Uh, a couple episodes back about, you know, hey, look, we start to dig into some of the numbers. And is it, you know, like, is it obvious, depending on how you look at it, that Black Americans are more at risk of being shot and killed by police when they interact with them than white Americans, right? And the data that I could find says no. And the data that the New York Times could find says no, right? But if you, but, and that's just the science, right? Someone did the study. That's true, right? But would a progressive be instantly comfortable with that? Be like, oh, well, you know, the science said so, so pfft. You know, maybe we should change this whole Black Lives Matter perspective. Of course they wouldn't say that because someone who believes in Black Lives Matter, right, has put a value frame on this. Right. And that value frame is very important to them. And so like is it the case that like instantly you know when reading a scientific paper a a progressive person is going to change their mind? Well, of course not. Right. So so the whole science is real tag is just an attempt a a poor attempt to seize a frame that anything science you know that anything scientists say is right or or scientists tend to be right and if you disagree with the scientific community like you're bad or wrong. But it's ineffective. Similarly, you know I saw the no human is a legal thing and Okay, what do you mean by that, right? And maybe it's just constrained to saying, like, hey, look, like, don't call people illegal immigrants or saying that they are illegals, right? Yeah, sure, they're breaking the law, but, like, they're not an illegal any more than anyone else who's breaking the law, right? And, like, maybe that's where it's completely constrained. But, like, is it that? No, it's not. It's trying to frame this idea. You know, it's trying to win the frame by saying, like, hey, you, you even talking about illegal immigration, like, don't talk about it that way because that's a unacceptable frame. It's an incorrect frame. Is it making a good argument for it? No. Right. Is it convincing to anyone who has concerns about illegal immigration? No. Right. You know, one of the conversations we'd had around this, because um, I was walking with some friends and someone of them were like, why do you hate this sign so much? And so I was going on a bit of a rant again, even though I agree with some of the implied stuff from the sign, I, th- I just think the way it's written is a bit silly. You know, like if I just like plopped my butt down in in Toronto Right. And just like, I'm just going to stay here. And they found me. They'd be like, go back to America. Right. Like, you're here illegally. Get out. Right. And I'd be like, okay, fine. Right. And like, nobody would have a problem with that and uh, you know of course like as you get further into this someone goes like well it's not actually about just anyone can just show up anywhere right Uh, it's about there's a lot of economic refugees and you go great so what's the method by which we can legally get people into you know you can have a real conversation around it once you get past having this dumb argument over semantics because it like makes you feel good right and it goes to the other side as well being like oh they are illegals it's just like well no they're breaking the law right but like plenty of people break the law right and so what do we do about people who break different laws different things so what should our let's find out and so it can be a very interesting conversation but saying no human is illegal or they're illegals is not really getting on anywhere these are frames that pass that talk past each other and then the last one i'm gonna gripe about is love is love like oh okay well like cool i mean anything is anything like glass is glass blue is blue like what are you trying to tell me here it's like well what we're trying to say is like you can't judge two people who are in love it's like, oh, okay. And again, look, I was at the um, uh, in 2006. I was I was in front of the state house or the the general court state house in Massachusetts, demonstrating to prevent a referendum from getting on the ballot to make gay marriage illegal. Right. So I was protesting against making gay marriage illegal in Massachusetts. So, like, you know, I've been into gay marriage long before it was cool. But I hate saying love is love, right? Because you could that be like, oh, okay, what about like someone who's 40 and someone who's 10 who are in love? right? Is that just love? Is that just fine? Oh, and does it happen to be the fact that there are pedophiles who call themselves MAPs? Something, I forget what M stands for, but it's basically like young people attracted persons, right? As if it's just a sexuality, just like, you know, Just like being gay is. And how can how can the term love is love differentiate between those two things? Oh, maybe we need something more sophisticated, right? Maybe we need to say, like, look, two adults who love each other, who cares? Let them do their thing. Right. And could you change that frame into being perhaps some more like, you know, if you want to get some libertarians on board or some conservatives on board, right? Why don't you get it into like, hey, look, let's get the state out of people's bedroom. Let's get them out of their business, right? And we've heard that argument, right? People have made that argument. Get the state out of your bedroom, right? It's not the government's job. Get them out of there. And you know, and gay marriage is is widely accepted and legal everywhere right and unlike say abortion nobody's really fighting it like have you noticed that abortion like you know, the supreme court ruled on gay marriage in 2015 and everyone's like all right cool right i mean some people probably griped but like they got over it and where abortion people got uh you know people still making like it's still a a, a vicious war since 1973 which was roe v wade and that's 50 years ago And it's still not over. And so, you know, with gay marriage, I think a big part of the framing that won was like, like, does it matter to you? Right? Like, why does it matter? This is just like, this is just other people's business. Let them do their thing. It's like, all right, fine. We similarly talked about some framing issues when in the immigration versus gentrification episode, right? If you love one but hate the other, it's because you see them with these different frames. What I did in that show was say, like, hey, look, let's look at them both through the same frame. They start looking really similar, don't they? Right. And you see that new frame, you go like, huh, that's really interesting. Right. And and I hope that everyone listening to the show like takes away in that immigration versus gentrification episode, takes away this idea that, like, okay, we can introduce new frames to something and like get people to see things a different way. Right, and get them to reconsider. That's what frame control is about. Last, last frame uh, talking past, oh, two more frame talking past each other examples I want to bring up. One of them is, uh, it's about guns, right? You know, so anytime, you know, Obama talked about common sense gun control and, um, you know, and of course you had like a lot of good scaremongering about, he's going to take our guns away. And, you know, look, there's a lot of people, like their frame is that this is a constitutional right and it's therefore very important. And, you know, what I always found very interesting about that is if I knew some serious gun nuts, that's kind of mean to say. I mean, I own some I own some weapons myself. But, you know, if I know some like serious gun advocates, I remember being able to do a little bit of a frame control with them where I say, Okay, so the constitution's really important to you. They're like, Oh yeah, definitely. And so, you know, the like when the state takes away someone's constitutional rights with force, like how would you react? And they'd be like, Well, I'd pick up my gun. It's like great. So if we look at the fourth and fifth articles of the, no, sorry, articles, amendments of the Constitution, like, doesn't it look like this police brutality stuff is taking away people's rights to due process? Right? When someone gets shot, like, Breonna Taylor gets shot and killed at their home, like, her constitutional right to due process was taken away. And they go, like, well, you shouldn't have committed a crime. It's like, no, it doesn't matter, right? Because our our Constitution guarantees us the right when we commit crimes to due process. And that was taken away, right? Of course, people who commit crimes should be, like, taken to court, right? That's the law. That's how it works. And it's a constitutionally protected right it's one of the most important ones that the state can't just show up and kill you right that they got to take you to court first and that argument was effective it was very effective um i got people to see things a different way um there's a friend of mine who will go on name big gun nut and he goes around you know he was a huge black lives matter activist white guy big beard loves his cigars big truck right huge black lives matter activist why Because his frame was this is police brutality and more importantly, right, it's not about like he changed the frame. He's like, look, this isn't about whether you're black or white. This is about the state taking away with force people's rights to due process and just killing them and just assassinating them, right? It's unacceptable. This is stuff that this is why we have guns. This is what we, we should be rising up for. But nobody wants to reach out to conservatives to talk about that. They just want to say that they're racist, right? And so guess what? They entrenched themselves, right? Because we made Black Lives Matter completely about, hey, are you racist? Or are you going to agree with the entire slate of things on the Black Lives Matter website? That's your choice. And it's not very effective at building a, a tent, is it? Right. And when I talk to people about this stuff, about like, it's your obligation, if you want progress to like win people over to the side, they go like, well, no, it shouldn't be my obligation. Everyone else should just agree with me. Right. Because if they don't, they're bad people. And I can't talk to them anyway, because since they don't already agree with me, they are bad people. Bad, bad, bad. So I'm not even going to try. It's like, well, why are you talking? Right. If they're not going to agree with you, like, just shut up. Because... If you've just told me that you can't win anyone over and that you're committed to not trying to win anyone over, then why are you making noise? Oh, right. It's just to make noise. It's just to hear yourself talk. It's just to win points with your crowd, right? Or we'll talk about this a little more. If you're a politician, it's to rally your base and get them to vote for you, right? Get them to volunteer and donate money and keep you in power. And that's why we keep talking about this, even though we're totally committed to not winning anyone else over to our side, right? And if you just post stuff, Like, no human is illegal. Like, you're not going to win a single conservative over to your side. You're just not. Full stop, right? So think about if I'm posting something with a particular frame that I know the other side doesn't like, right, or doesn't speak to them, why am I doing it? Take the moment to ask yourself that and ask, like, is that how I want to spend my energy? Or do I want to try to make things better? And the thing is, look, if you're consciously committed to, look, I just want to make noise and I just want to like win points with my friends and, you know, look, I'm trying to date and I either live in San Francisco or I live in rural Alabama and I just got to get along with everyone. And I got to like say the stuff because we live in such a dogmatic society that everyone's got to like run around and like, you know, read from the little red book of whatever region they're in in order to be accepted. Then like, okay, that's fine. Like not everyone could be a maverick. But if you're actually, if you actually think of yourself as an advocate or an activist, what are you doing? So let's talk about one more conversation that I had that I thought was actually really interesting about how we can make progress, right? So I'm actually going to just like keep my own kind of like weird, malform- so I'll, I'll just say my, my opinions about abortion I think are very malformed. And so I just don't take a strong stance policy-wise one way or the other. I kind of like stay out of it a little bit, which I'm sure is pissed off literally everybody. But we were having a conversation about this where I said, hey, are you, you know, I asked someone like, are you willing to explore frames with me here. I, w- I kind of want to do an experiment for the show. And they said, sure. And I said, okay, how do you see abortion? And they say, look, it's a matter of just women's rights. You should stay out of my body. And th- this person talking to me, was it was after they'd seen men protesting at Planned Parenthood. And they said, like, how unacceptable that men are protesting at Planned Parenthood because this is a women's issue. It's a women's health issue. It's a women's body issue. There's the frame. Boom. Women's health autonomy, right? Men can't even be involved. Now, of course, these men aren't saying, hey, we w- they-, they they don't believe. Like, deep down, they there's no way they believe, like, you know what we want to do? We just want to control women and make them into baby machines. What do they believe? Well, they believe it's baby murder, right? And they, they just don't want baby murder. And why is that a gendered issue, right? Like, let's say, for example, so here's how we can, here's how the competing frame works, right? If a woman, a mother, killed her two-month-old infants, right, just butchered them, Would we be saying like, well, can't have any men on the jury or like we can't have men involved in this conversation over whether this woman should murder her two month old baby? So, of course not, because it's murder. Murder's bad. That's everyone's that's everyone's problem. Right. And so these people are sitting there being like, look, this isn't about. This isn't you know a women's health issue it's a murder issue because we believe that at some point and there's this like big group of we right you have like again religious radicals who are like you know the the baby was you know the baby was a human like when when the two people locked eyes because that's when god said you know that's that's the moment their destiny was there that they have to like create a baby for god right there's those people and then there's people who are like hey look i'm i'm uncomfortable with the idea you know and then there's the the you know there's obviously the like as soon as conception happens it's a human and, you know, when I was talking about that, then my interlocutor said, like, well, you know, there are miscarriages all the time. They're not worried about that. And it's like, well, maybe they're worried about it, right? Like, death is a tragedy, but it's not a crime.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right?
2: Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
3: Right? Like, if a baby just dies, it's not a crime. It's just sad, right? And so, like, they're not trying to prosecute miscarriages because it's not murder right uh, but anyway then you have that group of people that's like probably pretty big from what we've seen in the polls that like they're a little uncomfortable with the idea of aborting a baby like a day before it's born and like the practicality aside of it because people are like well it's kind of impractical it's like okay practicality aside like can we all agree that aborting baby like the day before it's born is at least morally complicated right and like why would it be morally complicated like well maybe you know maybe it's got some personhood to it i don't know Right, this is where like I don't have a strong opinion on this matter because I think it's it's impossible to pin down. But you know, that's where someone could could try to win the frame when someone says, "Hey, this is purely about women's rights." Right? You try to win the frame of like, "Hey, are you okay with abortion a day before birth? And if not, why not? Is it because like at some point the baby has some personhood? Mm-hmm. And if so, then the frame has changed." And you know, and then and then we're talking about like, well, at what point do we as a society decide that it is you know that like the fetus is just organic tissue versus a person right and like oh god that's an awful co- you know like and and like one of the reasons we don't have want to have that conversation is like it's impossible to know right we can only draw a line somewhere there's no, there's no way of figuring that out right because there's like no you know there's no actual there's no actual, like, conclusive definition for, like, what is a person. Because, you know, probably most people would think, like, well, when two cells to get to get together, like, it's not a person. And most people say, well, a day before it's born, it's probably a person, right? In between, where did you all line Who knows, right? But if, like, you want to make, you know, abortion a, an issue that people can get together and agree on, like, you have to have that conversation. Good luck. And so my interlocutor came back was like, okay, well, here's a frame. If Republicans really care about these fetuses, why don't they care about babies? And I said, like, oh, I didn't realize this, but are they fine with murdering babies? She's like, oh, no, but they just won't take care of them, right? They won't do anything to take care of them. They'll, they'll make sure the fetus is born, but not do anything to help it. So this frame is about what is about care. It's about kindness, right? So trying to reframe this issue as one of, you know, are you really being kind to the fetus by preventing it from being aborted if you're not willing to, you know, the fetus and the mother, if you're not willing to support that mother with the baby? And of course you know, you can try to frame that right back and say like, well, murder being illegal is not the same as it's my job to pay for your kid, right? Like, you know, so you flip that frame and say like, you know, look, just because I'm not paying for your kid doesn't mean you can't, that you can murder it, right? Murder the two month old kid. So if I feel like the fetus has some personhood at some point, like whether or not I'm paying for it doesn't give you the right to murder or not. And then we got kind of stuck because of course it was the like, because we weren't going into, again, I think the only tractable frame for abortion is, look, at what point, if any, does the fetus have personhood? And the point before that, it doesn't have personhood, and therefore there's no, you know, rights or, or morality issue for abortion, and afterward there is. And, you know, if anyone else has better ideas of how to have a, you know, frame that everyone can get along with, like, let me know. But, um, it's the only one I've found out so far. Now, uh, what's interesting is we actually then, like, kept going, and we got past talking about abortion. We were talking about, you know, the, the like, paying for your kid thing because she said, like, well, the, you know, the frame of, Eric you know, Eric paying for your kid, you know, isn't a frame I agree with. And I said, why not? And they said, you know, what's interesting is that it's not an issue of, like, I want stuff from you, It's an issue of it's a societal problem for kids to be raised by parents who aren't ready. Ooh, yeah, interesting, right? New frame altogether. It becomes a utilitarian argument, a practical argument where, you know, where what you can do for the conservative who like doesn't want to pay for someone else's baby because they're like, it's wrong for, you know, like, look, I got to pay for my own baby. Like, why do I also have to pay for somebody else's baby? Well, um, here's an interesting case, right? So, look, you already are paying for lots of people's stuff, right? Uh, Entitlements, well, you know, entitlements such as, like, free education, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, Section 8 housing, all that stuff. Bang, 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 bang. And prison, right, all take up a massive part, you know, and paying for police and all that stuff. Take up a massive part of your tax bill. Absolutely massive part of your tax bill, as every conservative would agree. Probably way too much, Right. So if we look at all this stuff being spent, again, on entitlements, food stamps, etc., Medicare, Medicaid for people in poverty, typically, but also prison for people who ended up in jail, like, oh, what is, like, do we want to do a little bit of research on what money we can invest to make it less likely that we have, for example, lots of criminals that we need to pay police, you know, pay police to try to like prevent and round up and, and pay prisons to hold on to, right? You know, the humanitarian, you know, the humanitarian frame is not even not even necessary here. We're we're now talking about just like investment in taxpayer dollars. Is it cheaper to like pay for early childhood education and support, or is it cheaper to pay for, you know, the consequence of people becoming impoverished or uneducated and the sort of like inevitable, you know, monetary cost to society of that? And the thing is, I actually don't know the answer because what I don't know is like, what is the efficacy of this early childhood education and early childhood, like support for mothers and stuff like that? Like, it seems like a good avenue worth exploring, right? Where liberals and conservatives could get together and say, look, if we, hey, conservatives, if we invest in this now, like it's going to let us over the next 20 years, right? Massively cut down on spending on this, 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 and this, and actually become a net positive for the taxpayer, right? And by the way, more of these people will be paying taxes, right? Because they'll actually be working, right? Working for better jobs, paying more taxes, contributing right cool right and so that could be a really interesting education like could you get a conservative on board with paying for more early childhood stuff and this is possibly why biden think you know biden was trying to frame it as infrastructure even though at first glance it seems a little crazy right be like oh like child care for mothers is infrastructure how's that what is this human infrastructure thing right well the idea of infrastructure is that it's an investment right that leads to more economic output and fewer costs in the future right that's good for deciding good for the taxpayer maybe it's true I don't know. I haven't done the research yet, but it'd be cool to find out. So hopefully that example was really interesting where we saw the frame change over and over and over and over again, right? And part of the problem people are having is that they're not addressing the frame. They're just, again, yelling past each other. So they're not like saying you know, look, I want to reframe this. Like, you're talking about X, but like Y is also true, right? And using, you know, what do we do in these examples? Like, or in, in these arguments, like we use examples, right? Or we use like illustrations. We use color to add to the concept rather than just like blabbing, borrowed talking points from somebody else. We used our brains. And it was a really interesting conversation. Now, did we get anywhere? I don't know, but... Were we both able to, or, you know, was my interlocutor able to, like, think about this differently, right? Rather than just, like, you know, maybe they still will just pop out, you know, the kind of canned, packaged arguments that they've been told from someone else, but they don't have to anymore. I might have a more interesting conversation with someone. So... How do you win frames? Or how, you know, there are like two ways of thinking about frames. One of them is winning the frame and like getting someone to consent to your frame. And one of them is like finding a mutually agreeable frame. And so if you look up like frame control stuff, you'll see all sorts of ways about winning the frame. Because what you're trying to do is momentarily get something from someone. So you're trying to win the debate and impress everybody. Or you're trying to, you know, win the deal, get someone to say yes to signing, you know, signing where the line is dotted. Or like winning the negotiation over price, right? Where once it happens, you get someone to say yes we're moving on. And so there's all sorts of techniques which we'll go through about how to do that. But ultimately, they're not long-term effective in actual political conversations with people. And why is that? Because people can backslide, right? Someone can even agree with you temporarily. And then you come back the next week and they're, they've changed their minds again. They're back to where they were. Why? Because you're trying to dislodge them from this like very entrenched thing where, again, we talked about this earlier, they have like a social reason to believe what they believe or at least outwardly believe what they believe. And the more you say something, the more you tend to believe it, right? So if all of your friends around you are saying, you know... Whatever, like the uh, Donald Trump won the election, right? You hear that enough and you're like, oh, yeah, totally. I guess he won, right? Maybe you start to believe it. And so, like, if you've gotten someone to, you know, change how they think about that temporarily and you like find out the next week they like post it on Facebook or whatever like toxic social media site they're on that like the election was stolen and Joe Biden's senile or whatever, don't be too surprised. This takes work. But All you can do in a conversation is help someone start to seriously reconsider. And so as we talk about frame control, we have to be careful. There are people who are good at temporarily winning the frame, but not actually changing people's minds. Great example of this is Ben Shapiro right? Ben Shapiro is one of those people who like gets people flummoxed and gets them stumbling all over themselves. And it's because he's excellent at frame control. He doesn't actually, what he does is he's like, you know, for a certain kind of conservative, he's sort of like a cheerleader. Like people just really like him because he's like, yeah, get a Ben, right? Owned, like own the lib. And you know, that's what our political discourse has fallen to today is we talk about it being like sports, right? Look, he scored points, but he's not actually good at changing anyone's mind. He's actually very good at hardening people against him as well, isn't he? You know, when he, like, owns some socialists, they don't suddenly are like, well, I'm a free market capitalist now. Thanks, Ben. That doesn't happen. You don't see any of those testimonials for a reason. So... Let's talk about some frame control stuff specifically because what you want to do is dislodge someone from their own frame so that you can then talk about, hey, let's get to a mutually agreeable frame, a mutually agreeable way of looking at this. So some of these frame control techniques are temporary things that you do to set up the real conversation, right? So first thing you can do is you can pick and choose. So you don't need to win every point. What you can do is you can be fierce on the key points that matter and either agree or just disregard the trivial stuff stuff right so what often happens is like there's a whole lot that's packaged up into what someone's saying that they like don't even acknowledge and you know so some would be like well we can't do x for three reasons bang bang and bang or probably better it's like we have to do x for three reasons bang bang and bang and if you know like reason number two is impossible and it's actually like makes the whole argument or the whole proposal like undoable even if reasons A and C are, like, fine, right, then what you need to do is, like, just ignore reasons A and C and go after reason B and say, look, this is actually impossible. This is something I know, and, like, and so you just focus on that. So you don't have to, by selectively ignoring certain framing stuff, you can take control of the conversation and bring it back to something that matters. You can flip the frame's meaning, right? So, like, Reagan famously said when asked about his age, because he's the oldest guy running for president ever at the time, he said, I'm not going to exploit, for political purposes, my opponent's youth and inexperience, Right. And everyone got a chuckle out of it. And like is very, again, short term, very effective, didn't really convince anyone of anything other than that Reagan is quick on his feet and therefore pretty sharp and therefore like still has his faculties. Right. That's what he was really doing there. And it was because he was able to nimbly flip the frame. But like one way of, say, flipping the frame is, for example, we talked earlier about how even at the height of Black Lives Matter, 81 percent of black Americans didn't want less police presence in their neighborhoods. That's a huge portion. And so we can use that to flip the frame of like, hey, look, you know, saying that we wanted to say defund the police or abolish. This is I was having this conversation with someone who's like, we need to abolish the police because and I said, why? It's like, well, police are just too dangerous in particular for people of color. And so when we were talking about what I need to do is flip the frame and say, like, well, look, if if you care about you know, the safety of people of color, like, let's look at the whole picture of like, you know, how are people of color being victimized? Um, What's hurting them, right? And it turns out it's as horrible as police brutality is. And as much as it very obviously needs to change, right, the idea of like, well, let's just get rid of the police, like probably, you know, there's a lot of evidence to say, like, it doesn't do a lot to help people of color and the most vulnerable in America from being victimized by crime. Especially violent crime or theft, and so it's it was one of those like, hey, if you really care about this, as you claim to do, you would believe the opposite of what you believe, kind of thing, right? And so you can flip the frame and then and then get a conversation going. You can use a moral frame or a personal frame that you can match on. Hey, look, you and I are both Americans that care a lot about blank, right? well yeah okay well since we both care about this like wouldn't we want to maximize blank and uh so like one good example is one frame about abortion i've heard that's actually pretty good is like hey you and i both care about minimizing the number of abortions in america right and like most people can get on board with that it's like you know bill clinton actually said this very well i think it was bill clinton he said like abortion should be safe legal and rare and like most people would be on board with that and so like well, what are ways we can do that? oh turns out like sex education you're distributing contraceptives more easily maybe even making them free, right? Because we want to, you know, have fewer teen pregnancies, fewer abortions, fewer parents who are unprepared. You know, you can even start to look at the return on investment for the taxpayer of giving, of just like carpet bombing free contraceptives everywhere, right? How many kids that being born to parents who are not ready to raise them well yet, financially, mentally, right? Whatever. How many of them are not going to be born because of these free contraceptives? And I don't mean ever. I just mean until such a time as the parent is ready to have the kid and raise the kid well, right? Ooh, yeah, maybe that's great. Like, maybe that's a really powerful conservative argument Um, where you're flipping the frame. You can undermine the validity of their premise, which I actually don't have a good example for right now. You can attack, you can question the definitions that people use. And so a good example here is, like, question the definition of rights, right? Someone's like, oh, it's a fundamental right for me to have my guns, It's like, okay, what does a fundamental right mean, right? As opposed to something enshrined in the Constitution, as opposed to a natural right, all that stuff. And like, because what happens is like, people just so often will just say shit like, well, this is a right. And like, boom, end of conversation, right? Well, until you start to question what a right means, right? And you can use that through like absurd examples. We could say like, you know, there's the like, you know, it's like, Oh, the government can't in any way infringe on the right of people to have weapons? It's like, okay, cool. If, like, you know, again, let's just say, like, let's just like a straw man, like crazy, like hardcore conservative, possibly a little racist and xenophobic. It's like, cool. So, like, you know, a Muslim guy wandering around with like a nuke, that's just cool by you, right? No, it's not. Okay. So, like, should the government regulate whether like religious zealots can carry around nukes? It should. Okay. We've now established that. We've now established that this, like, completionist, this, like, totalist idea of, like, the government can never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, ever regulate what weapons people can have, right? If you find one example where it can, now we're talking on a spectrum. It's just, like, you know, it's just the, like, well, a fetus isn't a person. It's like, oh, is it a person 12 seconds before birth? Or is there something, like, magical that happens through the birth canal that, like, poof, grants it personhood? No? Okay, well... Now we need to talk. Uh, And then the other thing you can do is you can agree with them. Pick an example and make them defend it to undermine the consistency of their frame. My favorite is when someone gripes me about masks and being like, oh, masks, the government forcing me to wear them, takes away my rights. I go like, look, I agree. And I start unbuttoning my belt, right? I go like, I agree. I think the government should not tell us what we have to wear. We should be able to wear whatever we want, including nothing. Like, well, that's not what I meant. I go, what did you mean? Right? Because I don't like the government telling me what to wear. I want to roam free. Right? Free ballin', as a friend of mine would say. I'm like, well, you can't do that. It's obscene. I was like, it's obscene. It's not hurting anyone. Right? I'm just standing here. I'm not going to run myself on anyone. Just want to stand here and get the breeze. Right? Feels good. And they have to change their frame that, well, look, it's not infringement on my rights to have to wear a mask because, of course, I agree the government can force you to wear clothes. Oh, you do now? Oh... Okay, so what is it? Well, I can't breathe in it. Cool. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put a mask on you and like, you know, it's like, am I going to put a mask on you and like, tie you to a chair for 12 hours or like, do you think you'll die? Right. Do you think anyone's ever died by that? No. Great. So like what happens is they like you toppled over their frame and then like sometimes you just need to work through all the stupid stuff that they're going to throw and like, they want to move on. But like, if you, you know, if you know them well enough, you'd be like, no, no, dude, you started this. We're going to finish it. Right. And just keep pushing at them and keep knocking down. their like dumb ideas through these various means of trying to win the frame to your side such that they've now, like, they're kind of, like, out of steam, right? Like, out of ammunition. And then you can have the real conversation, which is pick a frame that works for everyone about this, right? Is this an issue of morality? Is this an issue of economics? Is this an issue of values, constitutionality, et cetera, et cetera? And win that argument. So, We've had a few examples of frames that we can, you know, ways that we can reframe stuff to have a more useful conversation about it. One of them I did have recently was, uh, I brought it up already, but like human aid as investment for the taxpayer, right? Like you've got, for example, folks who are homeless. They're not working. They're not really contributing. They're not paying taxes. And in fact, they're a drain on resources already, right? And can we make some investment to get them to the point that they're much more likely to be working and paying taxes, right? Does that make sense? Could it actually be a net benefit for the taxpayer as well as society as a whole. All right, talked about free contraception. contraception. Similarly, um, military spending. You know, you have a lot of liberals who are like, well, we spend way too much on the military. It's bad. And the thing I like to talk about, and this is a little bit advanced, but, you know, I studied international relations, foreign policy and war, got my master's in it. And, you know, you can make a compelling point that like, well, look, what's more important to you, right? Is it that we save money or that we have fewer wars? Oh, fewer wars. Okay, great. I'd like both. Well, pick one. Pick one. OK, it's fewer Wars. Great. And then I can make a, a case that The United States having a preponderantly powerful military not only minimizes the number of times we need to get into war, but minimizes the number of times other people get into war, right? Pax Americana. And people are like, well, I mean, look at all the wars that we've been having. And then you can pull up a graph that goes like, well, here are the number of people who have died by war uh, over time. And look how low it is, right? The things that we call wars now are tiny compared to what was going on in the 1700s, 1800s, and especially the 20th century, right? And is that just like a quinky dink? Or perhaps are there scientists, which you liberals so believe in, who actually studied this, uh, who say that, ah, yes, states, one state having a preponderance of power means that other states tend to behave, right? Because, you know, it's like the police existing, right? If you've read Better Angels of Our Nature by, I believe, Pinker, you know, he talks about, look, there's a very, very strong correlation and good causal evidence for centralization of authority and, you know, stuff like police and and the the ability for the state to enforce its laws leading to less violence, right? Leading to fewer people by a lot dying of violent means, right? And so this is an argument against both the abolish the police folks, but also the, like, you know, also the, you know, dramatically size down the U.S. military and I'm sure everything will be just fine, Right. Because we're just so used to, you know, we're so used to like a fairly peaceful world and wars of choice that we just think it's just going to just stay that way and just stay that way. If the US doesn't have a military, surely we haven't you know, we haven't thought about the cause of why there's so little war since the Second World War. Anyway, um, but you can talk about, hey, you want to prevent war like it's very, very important to prevent war. What's the best way to do that? What does the science say? Ah, is it? Have one state, even if it's not you know like even if it's not perfect, have a preponderance of power. Wow, if only someone was doing that, right that kind of thing. So we can have these conversations. I don't want to part with something. Why is no one else doing this? right Everything I talked about, all these ways of like reframing stuff, why don't you see that um, among advocacy groups? Why don't you see that among politicians? Why don't you see that in the news media? why? Well, it was never the point, was it right? News media, politicians, these advocacy groups even, you know, the NRA, Planned Parenthood, all that stuff. Are they trying to settle the issue? No. That makes them obsolete, right? What would the NRA be if everyone was like, oh, yeah, guns are fine, whatever? It'd be nothing, right? It employs a huge number of people. And, you know, this is specifically the NRA ILA, the Institute for Legislative Action. employs a huge number of people, tons of money. The people in charge of that get tons of money, right? So what do they need? They need a fight. They need endless war endless war so you donate to them endlessly so they will do everything they can even if subconsciously to perpetuate it because they got skin in the game they don't want this resolved they're not going to teach you how to have if you're you know if you're very pro second amendment they're not going to teach you how to have effective conversations to like reach alignment with more liberal people about you know good gun policy that you know you could get behind they don't put out like gun policy recommendations that could build a coalition Why? Because they don't want it. Similar with other advocacy groups across the political spectrum. And so these like time-honed tactics, you know, so, so like why do people in sales want to win these frames and build this alignment? Because it makes them money. Why don't people in politics use this? Because it would cost them money. That's it, right? People do what's in their interest, both consciously and more importantly, subconsciously. The thing that gets politicians reelected, the thing that gets you to give money to your advocacy groups, et cetera, et cetera, right? The thing that gets you, like, really excited about an election and, and this time, this time when we vote the bums out, everything will be fine, right, is this idea of a war, right? Is that the other side is bad. And so, like, you, you can't even, like, let's say you're a leader, like, you know, Nancy Pelosi or Ted Cruz or something like that that people look up to. You can't even say, like, hey, look, here's how to reach across the other aisle and, like, build a big coalition. Maybe all should do it, right? Because you're a traitor, because we've already spent so much time painting the other side as evil and unreasonable and dumb, right? Are you deplorable or are you a libtard? Pick one. And, you know, it's all about, every all this stuff that you hear is about winning the base. It's about firing up the base. And it works. It just doesn't work at building alignment. What does is work the frame. So, go forth. Have those conversations. Uh, let me know how they go. We'd love to hear from you on social media. Um, we're on Facebook at Reconsider. We're on Instagram now, which is cool. We're on Twitter where are we anywhere else i don't know you can go to the website you can always leave a comment as a patron you can always message me uh all sorts of good stuff so good luck with those conversations out there hope to hear from everyone stay safe Uh, happy fourth of july happy independence day and as always don't let the pundits do the thinking for you pause and reconsider this is eric signing off